So, Chris, the people want to know our secrets. How did we get this podcast started? Yeah, kind of a crazy story. We were both coming into this from the YouTube side, have never really done anything podcast-wise. We looked around, found Anchor by Spotify, really great service. It's completely free to use. They have some great stuff that you can just upload straight onto the website. You can actually record on the website. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Happy 4th of July from us here at the So Rare in the States podcast. Uh, you got any 4th of July plans here, Nashi? No, actually, I'll probably have a few beers and, and knock it early. I got up early for the, uh, the F1 race this morning, Silverstone. It's like a mm. big, bigger uh, race for the, for the British. So watch that. There's a big crash in that race, right? Yeah, it was a mad start. Yeah, yeah. Was, uh, yeah. They, the fella's all right, luckily, in the end. But it was one of the worst ones in a while. Like, uh, yeah, he was like sliding along on the top of his... Uh, upside down essentially and went over the barriers so uh yeah it was exciting he, he came out he came out all right so that's good but yeah early start in california with a time difference yeah that was wild definitely for sure um but yeah it's a great uh great american holiday and we are happy to bring in a man who needs no introduction if you don't know who quinny is we'll have a link to sign up for so rare in the description of the podcast um but how are you today so uh quinny <laughs> I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. Long time listener, first time caller, as they say. There you go. Love yeah, it. Love it. We're buzzing to have you, mate. I mean, like, it. Only recently did I realise how involved, and how well versed you are on the MLS. And uh, we caught that video. We we're talking about it earlier. You just put recently out a video about your sort of viewpoint of the MLS, like how you think it can grow, like what makes it different, what makes it better, and I really like what you were saying about the youth development the youth process and we talk about that a lot do you think that that's something that other leagues can kind of now leverage do you want to just elaborate a bit what you're saying about that because i thought that video was brilliant that you've done and if, if people haven't seen it i'd say check it out uh, yeah well i suppose the first time i became aware of it was like when i was getting my like uefa licenses and whatever <clears throat> at the time if you went to, I've told, I've told me about this before, so sorry if I've born anyone that's heard it, but if you went to the Red Bulls and you said, I've got a UEFA B, I've got a UEFA C, I've got a UEFA A, whatever, they would guarantee you a rate of pay if they hired you, kind of idea. And you can see it and sitting over here in Glasgow, you can look at it and think, oh, I'll get my license, you know, that would be this much and how many hours could you do? And then you're kind of in there and, you know, da da da, can you <clears throat> network your way around and can you perform all the rest of it, laddie ladder. And as then I was kind of working towards like getting licenses and whatever, you just always kind of keep your eyes open and you make accounts with like people that advertise these jobs and, and all that kind of stuff. And for the longest time, like it probably took me like two or three years to go from zero to my B, it was just like the Red Bulls. And then like you would get, um, after a while, it was like Bayern Munich had like some sort of interaction with Dallas and it would be like, you would almost do like the summer camp type thing, but it was like ran by Bayern Munich and you would get Bayern Munich training sessions and like all the people that go there are paying for like the Bayern Munich experience, but it's in conjunction with Dallas and, and all that kind of jazz. And when I seen that, I was like, well, Bayern Munich, like Germans in football, we all accept are very clever people, you know? And that was the first kind of little thing that I caught a whiff of. <clears throat> And we all know America's got wildly untapped potential in terms of grassroots level. Like it's just, it's beyond imagination what can be done there. When you look at grassroots football in Brazil, the UK, like Europe, like how amazing it is and how many world-class players come out of it. As soon as like that geography gets 
even 30% of that develop that development, you, you'll see some amazing results. So that was the kind of the, the first kind of introduction, if you like, add into like what goes on. Because when you're a fan, you're just watching football, you just see people showing up. You don't realize they only play college and then they get drafted, or do you know what? There's and now as we talk today, like <clears throat> those kind of structures and um systems, it's not as quite common now in MLS. Those kind of structures now are a bit more common in MLS. But even now, if I was to go on these job pages and have a look around, there's still clubs that like don't really recruit properly for like coaches and for systems and whatever. And they do still rely on the old kinematic. But the ones that I've noticed, like even if it's just gives us a wee bit of um, insight or whatever, that do rec- recruit really hard is like Seattle. They recruit really hard on coaches uh, for bringing them in for all sorts of mm-hmm. seasons and different things and all the rest of it, as well as both the clubs in New York, of course. I think the East Coast is really good for that, Philadelphia and Chicago as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the untapped potential there is incredible. Yeah, I think you're you're also kind of expanding on the point, like if we could get to 30%, we would be incredible. And we're definitely making progress, but there's a lot more progress to be made, you know? Um, and I know this kind of comes at a time where MLS next is having its championships, which is the, the Academy levels. Um, so congrats to DC United U 16 and inter Miami U 15 are the two two that I saw. Um, but we also have the, the U 20 world cup or the U 20 CONCACAF uh, final today against the Dominican Republic. And I was telling somebody earlier, and I think I tweeted this and um the U.S. has had not won a U-20 CONCACAF championship before 2017. All these tournaments dating back to 1966. Oh. We had never won one. And since 2017, we've won three in a row. And I think that shows you, you're, you're, you're 100% right. A lot of the development was done in college, and now that has shifted to the academies. And that's such a massive thing that these kids are getting at, at 16, 17, 18, what they used to be getting at 21, 22, 23. And just from a physical you know, development and a mental development because soccer is such a mental game, right? Just from a mental development, those extra five years are massive for the, for the sport. So um, yeah, I think a a lot of that goes into what we talked about when we talk about the U S being a monster here coming up in the 26 world cup and beyond. Um, I think that's a lot of the reason why a lot of us are so excited about that and why we could start to see some success for, for the national team. I think what the, the, the thing that Quinny touched on that really got my cogs going and like, I hadn't really thought about it that way was the, the, the fact that there's no relegation. Like initially us football fans are going to push back on that idea, competition, blah, blah, blah. But I hadn't really thought about the benefits before. And he brought up, you brought up like the fact that you can give these kids a chance without the pressure of relegation. Because if yeah. you actually think that back to like something like the Premier League, for half the teams there, their whole focus is to stay up because it's monumental going down. And yeah, that that creates like you can't give the young kids a run out when you've got to pick up these valuable, valuable points or maybe your whole team's gone forever. You know what I mean? Like the club's on a downward spiral. And that's a really interesting thinking point and I also think like when you, you you touched on it a little bit but I thought like when you're talking about the MLS and the franchise model and the no relegation it like something clicked where I was like and we see like attacking balls to the wall football every week week in week out in the MLS and I was kind of putting that down to maybe it's bad defending maybe it's like they put the DP spots up in, in attacking players but I also think that has something to do with it when you haven't got that to lose you know like so much at stake in a relegation you can really have a go week in week out and it lets you like play a bit more freely 
And from a spectator standpoint, like we're talking about, that's kind of a good and unique thing in the top echelon of the football world. And maybe there are some benefits and maybe like, I guess, would you think that we'll start to see, you know, we had the Super League and the idea of that was really not taken well and for rightly so. But like, do you think there's things that like European football can start looking at in the MLS in terms of a brand that, or do you just think it's too embedded in Europe where they can't now change it? But like there's things that the MLS are definitely doing better than in Europe for the product, for the fans, for everything really. Um, yeah, what do you think about that? I'm, I'm definitely the same kind of headspace as you. Well, that's <clears throat> that's kind of what occupied my thoughts when I was kind of going through that is like, with that kind of loose connection Dallas has with Bayern, the obvious ones that are there in New York to Europe already. And I think as well, um, Montreal have got a shared ownership with some people in Europe, I think at the Italian club and whatever. It's slowly but surely kind of happening. But see, as soon as like, you know, of course we've had like Alfonso Davies and a few other guys kind of migrate over recently, but see, as soon as like, we're kind of seeing it now with Bayern. So I'm about to say something, but as I'm about to say, I actually know that there's an, but like, Bayern Munich's academies, there's always like two or three Americans like knocking around at the now, you know, some guys that are breaking through, some guys you know have just shipped in from Dallas and some guys you've never heard of and you're like, oh, this 16-year-old just signed for Bayern. Where did he come from? And I think like they're, it, once they get a few more first team or even Bundesliga first team caliber guys like kind of come out of that kind of networking, you'll then see like Atletico Madrid have got a team in the Indian Super League. You know, they're not above that type of operation. Of course, City are already there, Red Bull are already there. Man United, Liverpool, Chelsea now, all these teams with big American owners, like I think they would all, Arsenal are kind of exploiting it now a bit with the whole Austin Trusty thing, you know, but I think eventually they will just go, fuck Europe, we'll go back to America and we'll play with the rules that we love and we'll just put a lot more of our money there and we'll be clever and we'll, you know, these amazing Arsenal Academy kids, let's just send four of them to Colorado and then AC Milan get a team and then, this, and then all of a sudden, what it could become and what that kind of headspace I was in is it almost becomes like the playground of Europe, if you know what I mean, where it's like everyone can just like enjoy it from afar. And it's like, oh, that's the that's the Atletico Madrid team. There's three wonder kids in there. Maybe two of them get minutes, one of them is crap or, you know, whatever actually develops from that. But then it is like the real armchair fans league, but it's like there's something to, you know, tie everyone in in some kind of way if it developed that way. Yeah, and you can like, yeah, thinking of building off of that, you could even see how like big teams in Europe with already their fan bases start to tie to franchises in the US and it already kind of migrates kind of naturally a fan base over that way too you know yeah. so like you you're with a city group you know if you're supporting city now you're naturally going to follow maybe the NYCFC because there's a connection there you're going to see players back and forth Dallas and Bayern and so on so yeah, yeah. it's like really interesting to see that how that connection is going to build out in the MLS and, and I think you're right I think like I think realistically like there's people the powers that be in the MLS have realized a really efficient way of branding football into a market that's not necessarily like it's built into but like the product itself might actually end up being like a better model you see it in like I mean probably not a lot of cricket fans listening to the pod but like <laughs> they kind of had to do that in cricket because the old way the whole systems the five-day test idea where it was like long games draws it was kind of a boring spectacle for the fans they realized there's like an organization or someone realized that's not what people want now we want action we want thing and they basically restructured the whole game 
made 2020, which is like a one-day-off event, as a winner and a loser. It's simple for fans to follow. And I feel like the MLS, for the MLS audience, are doing that. And I think you touched on some really good points in that, um, that video. So, yeah, I'd recommend people check that out. And uh, yeah, I appreciate pushing it out. So- so I'm I'm gonna make I'm gonna try to play a little devil's advocate here, and it's I, I think you guys are right. It's great for development of players, um, but does is being Arsenal's U23 team, for lack of a better word, a better product than just having your own separate team that you that you sign as many guys as you can? Because if you if you're Arsenal's U23 team and Arsenal says, here's a kid, we want you to play him. You have to play him whether he's good or not. You know, you have to give him a run out. You have to see, and then you know, you're talking about no relegation and how that, that helps you to be able to play the kids. And there's, there's no consequence for that. Um, it does help with the development of the kid, but when you're throwing like, like with Seattle, what Seattle did, they don't care about these regular season games. They know they're going to be in the playoffs one way or another. So they throw a completely rotated team out in Toronto. Now they happen to win that game, which is doesn't help me make my point, but um, they throw a completely rotated team out in Toronto and Toronto's so bad that they lose to them anyway. Um, and it's not fun to watch. Like we, we all turned it off because, you know, why are we going to sit here and watch uh, guys we've never heard of play for play for Seattle instead of watching, you know, Nico Ladero and, and all those other guys. What do you guys think about that? Can I give you two, can I give you two wee things on that? I'll give you a, a short one and a big one, right? The, the short one I would say is these players that would defeat in this like utopia of MLS in like 20 years or so, where the whole world kind of buys into it as being a neutral league that we can all watch and enjoy or whatever. Those guys replace the crap guys in the squad that are currently yeah. there. Now. The guys that are like, that's when they're a threadbare team when like Kelvin Leardam's playing right wing for right. LA Galaxy, you know, or <laughs> these types of things. So, yeah. Sorry, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, no, it phase out those types of guys. The second thing I would say, right, is like, if you remember when NYC first like became in as, as a team, they got guys on loan like Angelino and Yangel Herrera, for example. And see when you've got players like that come into the team that are of the level that are expected to even just knock around like those two guys have, like mid-level European teams or whatever. The players that are then at the team then get a taste of, number one, you know, what that level's like. And then they get to compare themselves against those guys, as, as do everyone else involved in terms of scouts and coaches and whatever, you know, like, oh, he's actually quicker than that boy, or he's actually taking his chances better than him, whatever. And it also helps you... If you're the American player, if you like coming into that situation, it makes you go, well, I'm only two yards behind the European guy, you know, to get to that top league. It helps you close that gap in your head of what's possible, I would think anyway. Yeah, we, I mean, we just had a transfer that kind of epitomizes what it's going to look like with Vrioni coming over from Juventus. He has, he's not going to get a sniff in Juventus, but yep. he's going to be a player that can make an impact in this league, I'm assuming. I haven't seen him play too much. I don't know if either of you know much about his playing style but that's kind of the thing I guess that I'm envisioning where you get like the guys where he could instead of going on loan again to a lower European league they come to the MLS as a priority instead and like if all of them kind of tier guys do that maybe with a view of going back and maybe it's not you want to see guys come in and stay in Chris like you're saying but them guys in general like you say are going to come into the league make an impact and hopefully from an American fan standpoint, you don't want to just be your league to be, I get like a breeding ground for Europe, you know, like a whatever. Right. But at the same exactly. time, like Quinny's saying there, if you do it right, it can bring the, uh, bring the level. you can bring the whole level of everything up, bring the whole side up and like, yeah, maybe if they, if they do it right, but that's the kind of thing that I'm thinking when I'm saying it, um, 
Do you know much about Vrioni, uh, Quinny? Uh, I, I looked at him for coming into this season because I think he had a good loan last year. He did quite well this year, but I would think like Jovalich went to Galaxy after a good year in Austria. So like I, I would say probably expect a good player. Yeah, Jovalich is a player. I can't believe he's not he's not been starting really because they've been poor. Like like we spoke yeah. about Cabral. I mean, <laughs> we spoke about Cabral. He, he's got no goals, no assists. Like I mean, I don't know if you're sitting on the bench as Dayan Jovalich, and I think he's played <laughs> like five or six goals in the last month. Yeah, and the guy starting ahead of you hasn't scored or assisted. Uh, all season, you know what I mean? you, you got to start thinking you're going to get a sniff soon. Is Jovalich a winger, though? Because Cabral's playing like a wing. Isn't yeah. Jovalich more worried about Chicharito? Uh, yeah, but I think they can fit fit him into the the front front four. They play both of them on the pitch at the same time. Maybe he plays just behind him instead. But, um, yeah, I guess my overall point is, like, the, the, the attack hasn't been firing on all cylinders. Uh and yeah, I think he'd be he'd be looking to get a sniff if I was him anyway. Yeah, I think he should be in line for some more starts because his form from the bench has been mental good, you know. But like the last couple of times I've seen them, like they have played them on that kind of like wing row. They don't really change the shape, but when they put Jovalich on, they kind of accept that, you know, they're not going to get him like tracking the full back back to the 18-yard box or whatever, like you maybe would be like Grancier or Cabral because that's, you know, they give you legs to do that. But yeah. he kind of does come in as a second striker, but they don't really keep the shape. So it's kind of off balance, which is why, like, the game where Efra came on as well, he's on the other side of the pitch, and it's kind of like a three. They almost became like a three up front. Can't yeah. remember who it was, but they were the, they, you, you remember the game. They both came off the bench and changed it. It was, a, it was a big one. Yeah, I think I've been really disappointed with the Galaxy this year. I went to the opening game of the season. I went there and I watched uh-huh. them against, against uh, New York. And um, they looked... I was looking at a team, they look really well balanced. Like, I really like uh, Delgado sitting in there. He really, like, keeps things ticking. Ravellis in a two, he's, like, kind of a powerful ball winner. And then I was looking at that front group of players where you had Chicharito, Jovic, you had Douglas Costa, Granser, Efren Alvarez. You know what I mean? You're just like, well, this team's just going to be good. You know, yeah. they've got two good fullbacks, and they've just kind of, they're just not doing it. They're just not, it's just not happening for them, so... Um, we, yeah, we'll keep an eye out for that. But I think one one thing early in the season that they were doing really well was playing defense, and they were horrible last year defensively. Um, and they early in the year were one of the better teams in the MLS. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. The Galaxy didn't change really any of their players, didn't really change the system. Why is their defense so good? And it's kind of regressed a little bit back to the mean with the Dallas game and the Minnesota game, giving up three goals in the first half in both those games. It's like this is more the LA Galaxy defense that I know, and this is what held them back last year. I was going to say on that, I remember I watched the, the opening game of the season, Galaxy New York, and uh, tying into what you were saying as well, Chris, like I think the biggest miss for them defensively is Koulibaly. Like, I thought in the opening game of the season, he was really good, and I think like the defensive form they had, if you check that out, he was kicking ass and taking names, and he's been out injured. I bought him, and then he got injured, so that's how I know. Um, <laughs> he's definitely still out. But uh, what did you make of him when you went to the match? Do you remember Koulibaly at all from the game or did you have an yeah, impression he, from him? Yeah, he, he looked really athletic. Like, he was covering ground. And it was him and um, I think Depoy started that game. And yeah. Depoy's a big body, but he didn't have the mobility. But Koulibaly was, like, kind of um, covering him really well. Like, tracking it. You got some pace up front with Tati and that. And he, yeah. was, he was really covering the ground well. And then... Like Araujo and Ravellison just 
again, they had like really, really good balance on out wide, you know, and the, the wingers were uh, Costa and uh, all the wingers were getting the ball coming in and they were bombing on and looking really well balanced, dangerous. The two centre mids were sitting in and I thought, yeah, this looks like a well balanced team. Like they weren't, they had two sort of shield in the back four, two good centre backs. They had Derek Williams to come in, who's a starter for them. So yeah, like at the same time, I was they shut out New York and I was like, all right, this could be a different year for them because they're going to score goals. And um, yeah, I just, I don't think, I don't think it's quite clicked yet, but I think they'll still get the playoffs and maybe they can figure it out. But Western Conference is tough. There's a lot of good teams out there. They got to be definitely careful for sure. Um, and they have the big game against LAFC coming up this, uh, this next week as well. Um, there were, there aren't a bunch of games. We're recording this on Sunday. So before all of the fun kicks off on Sunday and Monday. Um, so there's not a whole lot for us to get to. We'll talk a little bit about some of the midweek games, I guess. Um, uh, let's see, Nashi, you said you had watched uh, Philly and Chicago. Um, that was a big win for Chicago getting off the snide against a really good Philly team. What happened in that game? Can you explain how your team got three points? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a yeah, yeah, it's an absolutely massive result. Like it feels like every game is just a must-win now for for Chicago. Um, we had Shakiri back, and it just makes like we speak about it all the time. But like one elite player coming back in just makes such a difference. Chicago aren't as terrible as on their day if they can put it together. They're not as terrible as they kind of show out and like this game I had I thought we were just going to get ground down you know Philadelphia are just kind of a machine I thought they'd just just use their momentum they've been on a good run and Chicago have been obviously terrible I thought it, I didn't think we had a sniff in the game but we actually started with some confidence is kind of what we said I think the psychological impact of Shakiri coming back just kind of gives them a little boost that they needed after some poor results the game was close it, it wasn't like we were convincing Philadelphia had an off day. Um, we nicked a goal and then they got a red card and I thought, that's it, we're, we're, we're home now. And I don't know if you watched the game, but uh, Philadelphia really had the chances to get back in it, even with 10 men. So, um, but at the end of the day, they got a the result. There was a penalty shout that definitely should have been a penalty for Philadelphia in like the 92nd minute. Jonathan Bornstein, you know, like, Terrible, terrible challenge in a box. Stonewall penalty, but they didn't give it. Got away with one. And yeah, big, big three points. And yeah, we'll see how we get on from there. I mean, for Philadelphia, I'm not too worried about them. They weren't poor. You know, they went down a goal, down a man and still looked half decent. But are you yeah. back on the bandwagon for Chicago yet? <sighs> I want to say I am. I want to say I'm. And it's kind of interesting, like it's something that um, talking about the MLS as a whole and the fandom uh, uh, riding off what Quinny was saying was there's something nice about the fact that like I've adopted Chicago as my team and they're pretty awful, but there's still that thing of hope where like maybe next year, maybe next year they won't be as shit. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this is the parity <laughs> of the league, like couple signings. So that is another difference between like European football where when I was at West Ham 10 years ago and we were, we had players like Jonathan Spector, American, uh, American <laughs> yeah, <I> prodigy, <laughs> running the back four. We, there was just very little light at the end of the tunnel. So there's enough there to keep me interested. But, 
Yeah, I think the light's dimming on them. Uh, I think I'm with you, Chris, in the dark. But Well, you'll be happy to know we don't have predictology this week because there's so many games that we don't have stats for next week yet. Um, but uh, we do have a new predictology podcast out uh, that's more on the betting side of, of soccer. And on that podcast, John was telling me about how good the advanced numbers look for Chicago and how they're kind of underperforming and he expects them to regress to the mean a little bit and, and kind of make a little bit of a comeback. So he, he said you'd be happy to hear that. Um, let's see. We'll talk about, so Toronto, um, I watched both the Columbus and the Seattle game. I alluded to it earlier, how Seattle played all their subs and still got the win. Um, Toronto, I don't know. They, they have decided that they don't want to play in the first half. And they've also decided they don't want to play a whole lot of defense, even at home against Columbus and against Seattle's B team, which should both be at least draws for them. They just not clicking. And I Lorenzo Insigne, if he turns this around, is going to earn his money because this is a disaster right now. And it's a disaster in the back for mainly. So maybe Crescido is the more important signing. Um, but Salcedo is garbage. Salcedo got absolutely torched on the second goal. He has he has him in perfect position uh and just lets Leo Chu completely around him. So I don't know what Salcedo is doing. He's one of like three DP center backs in the league, and he is not living up to uh to that at all. So Toronto. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. What do you think about Toronto, Quinny? Well, I back Crescito to do pretty well. And um, I was, I was really interested in listening to, I was listening to your podcast talking about Italians coming into Toronto. Yeah. That was yours. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Hi. I thought that. Sorry, weeks, I yeah. just had to double check there before I said yeah. it. And, and uh, yeah. So I was actually, I, I already thought it was confirmed. And then I was listening to your guys' podcast with, and again, I forget the guests. I'm terribly sorry, but they made it sound like it wasn't quite confirmed. So I was super happy to see him like in the changing room with Insignia over the last week. I went and I sold my rare recently because I was selling lots of cards, but I went and got a limited for eight quid. because I was like, I need to, I, I think he's, I don't think he's going to take penalties for Toronto, right? But he is a penalty taker of a centre back, you know, like he's, he's a talisman. He's a proper leader of men, if you like, you know. And uh, he could be a guy. He's not going to lose the ball. See, when he gets on the ball, he's going to just be like a coach on the pitch, you know. And he'll be wide placing balls with his left foot down the channel, you know. And he'll wide put his cigar on and, you know, like in a good way, but, you know. (laughs) And centre-backs that run games like that can get 70 points on AA, no problem. Yeah, you think he's going to... Not in a Gonzalo Higuain way, huh? You think he's going to slot in a left centre-back next to sort of where Mavinga's playing now and... I think they'll have Salcedo as kind of a bit of a, like he plays anyway, a bit reckless, a bit of a headless yeah. chicken steaming in, like man marking. And I, I can see what you're saying, Crescito just dropping off, getting the ball deep and like sweeping behind him and just spraying balls around. He's a very technical player. And like for the Matrix, yeah, I think yeah. he's he's an exciting prospect. He might struggle to get on the penalties with uh, Insigne there, but even still, I think his play style is going to be real nice. Yeah, for sure. And if Insignia's yeah. out, who knows who takes the penalties in? <laughs> Maybe Consuelo. <Bradley>. Consuelo, <laughs> the MVP from, from a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, I, can see, I can see Insigne just uh, putting, in a, putting, in a, putting in an hour a week and then, uh, you know what I mean, calling it off. I can really see that happening, especially the first year after you know, playing a season in Europe coming over. I, I don't, I'm not yeah. sure you're going to get 90 out of him because I had his card for Napoli and even, even there he would, he would play sort of 60, 70 minutes a lot, especially if they had midweek games. So, um, yeah, maybe there's a little bit of meat on the bone there with Crescito and the last-minute penalties. 
that's gonna that's gonna be rough if Insigne's only playing 60 minutes. He's got a lot of work to do in 60 minutes to turn that team around. Um, let's talk quickly Vancouver against LAFC. LAFC came into uh, BC place, which I've called the toughest place to win in the world, and they uh, failed to win. So Vancouver, hot dog, I called that one correctly as well. Um, Vancouver lost Caicedo for quite a while, which I thought was good for Dahomey. Turns out, watching the broadcast last night, it's probably Ryan Raposo who's the big winner of the uh, Caicedo injury. So interesting there. Um, Raposo's really, really cheaper, at least last last time I checked he was. Um, LAFC rested a bunch of guys as well, pre- prepping for that uh, LA Galaxy El Trafico game next week. Are you, are you, is there like buzz around LA, Nashi, for El Trafico? Have you heard anybody actually talk about it in real life? It's massive here. Yeah, it actually is. Yeah, no, it actually is a, um, when I was at the game last week with a few of the Sore lads, it was, you know, you could tell there's like the marketings around it already, like the whole, they're giving out flyers for El Trafico. Like they know that it's the, they're, they're trying, you know, they're trying to make it the Classico. And to be fair, like with the, within the city, it is a big thing. Like you'll see it advertised at bars where regularly they won't even show a football game. You know, like you see the little plaque outside oh, El Trafico. So it is, it is a real rivalry. I know like sometimes people kind of fabricate these things, especially, but yeah, on the ground, it's a, it's a big deal for the, Fans and there is actually like I follow a lot of um, Galaxy and uh, LAFC sort of media outlets on Twitter and stuff, and there is actually a bit of an edge between the two fan bases. There's like a bit of banter. Oh, yeah. There is a bit of uh, bad blood there. So it is a yeah, it's a real real rivalry. And I'd actually love to go to the game. It's, you can't get tickets sold out, but uh, that's on the bucket list for sure. But yeah, LAFC. I mean, we'll see if Gareth Bale and Chiellini start. I think Vea was sick. You know, I think any sort of away game where there's a turf field or he just can't be yeah. asked that week, you know, I mean, he's going to be, he's going to, he's going to be picking up a little illness or two, but I think he'll be back. And I think he'll, I think Galaxy are going to struggle to contain, contain their, that team. But um, it's a massive result for Vancouver and they've, they've just, Vancouver's white hot. They're they've white hot. Yeah, and they've had yeah. a couple injuries, like you said, and they still just they've just been consistent. And this new, this new, I think he's a DP. This new guy that they got, Kubas, is the real deal. He is a destroyer in the middle. He's everywhere. I don't know how he's going to do on the Matrix because he is a defensive mid, but my goodness, like he is absolutely everywhere. Um, they also have Vite, who's been in the doghouse for um, Benny Sartini for for a while, and he was magical last night. He when he came on, that's what kind of unlocked the the defense um, and, and they got that late winner. I wanted to, um, so I wanted to ask uh, Quinny real quick, like uh, you've done a lot of coaching, you know, that's a part of a passion that you've got side from so rare and like, you're really into the strategy and the mentality side of the game with the Cody Cropper situation. We see this with mm-hmm. goalkeepers massive on so rare Cody Cropper's come into the team. He is effectively a backup goalkeeper not to put a hat on the man, but he's a backup goalkeeper in the MLS. That's all he ever is, whatever. Thomas Hazel's bright prospect future. He wasn't doing anything wrong. They were, you know, the team was letting him down at the start of the season. He was doing what he can. He didn't deserve to lose his place. He gets injured. Then Cropper comes in and he does, out, he outperforms what was expected of him, right? Yep. The team go on a run and they're performing brilliantly. Hazel's now coming back from injury. You'd assume from like a, organization that they see him as the future or at least a valuable asset for the future 
if you're there in a sort of management role, how do you navigate this situation now? Because, you know, you see it a lot. Goalkeeper gets injured, backup comes in, does really well. And in the MLS, I feel like more than other leagues, you see them win the spot, you know? And is it yeah. from a coaching standpoint, from a running team, how would you navigate that kind of situation? What are your thoughts? I don't find it surprising that you think they all end up winning the spot because that's exactly what you do. You play the goalkeeper that's playing, you know, like it's, there's nothing, you know, like I've had it before, for example, like the last team I coached, we had three goalkeepers and we played like, it was a university team. So we had university league football on a Wednesday and then we had league football on a Saturday. And for different reasons, some people could play Wednesday, others couldn't, and some people could play Saturday, others couldn't, whatever. So I had three goalkeepers and at one point in time, none of them were available. And see when they all came back in, like it's you, you've got in your head, oh, he's normally number one for this, and he's normally number one for that, or whatever. But the kind of moral of the story is like, you know, it's the ones that come back and the ones that are making the saves are the one you play every time. It doesn't matter that, you know, like injury and opportunity is kind of how goalkeepers get on in the game, you know. And if they don't get the opportunity to seize the opportunity, then it's pretty demoralizing, you know. Like, so when guys are injured, if you don't give them the chance to take the spot and hold the spot then it can kind of kill that little goalkeeper union you've got. But equally, Hasso or Hazel, whatever we're calling him, if he just gets handed the spot, there's less um, merit to his position. You know, he needs to kind of earn it back in. And part of him earning it is Cody Cropper dropping it. Right. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It kind of builds on what we talked before, though, because from like the devil's advocate standpoint, we're seeing like Gaga Slanina become a big valuable asset for the Chicago Fire, potentially on the transfer market. If you're looking at it like in terms of what we said before, like is on-field performance everything in the MLS? Because if I'm like a GM or something, maybe I think, well, Hazel's in the Canadian team setup. He's a young guy. He's got a ceiling that's way higher in terms of an asset for the club. You know what I mean? Do you weigh that into the equation? Obviously in Europe, I think I agree with you. Like, whoever's performing right here, right now, you stick with. But I wonder whether these teams kind of weigh that decision into the into the equation, like future value ceiling. Because you don't want Cropper running out for the season at the end of it, Hazel's thinking, well, I'm not getting a look in here, you know, forcing a move or something. You know what I mean? It's, it's a little different in the MLS. Like, um, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, especially if you want to have... And again, I've never coached at MLS level or whatever and handled transfer speculation from Real Madrid for a goalkeeper and all that caper. But I think with Selena, it becomes a bit different because he is now seen as an asset. And if you start dropping him on injury or anything like that, then you've got an asset that might be devalued on perception. And obviously that's something I've never dealt with, so I can't speak on it. Um, but, <laughs> but, with, but in general, I do feel that like, because goalkeepers like always train together. Goalkeepers are like, let's say it's always referred to as the goalkeepers union. And like, again, like the one of the main reasons it's referred to all that is because they are like a little club within the squad. If you like, you know, the, the coach and the three guys, they're, they spend the most time together and whatever. And as much as they're all supportive of each other and that kind of thing, it's normally the way it goes. There is like, yeah, you know, it depends how you are as a coach. Like for me, it's the best player plays kind of idea. And I suspect, you know, Vancouver's not too different. You know, uh, I was pronounce his names wrong, but, you know, Vanny. Um, Sartini? Sartini, Sartini yeah. Sartini, I don't know. Um, he's very well-renowned as, like, a coach's coach, if you know what I mean. He's, like, a training field guy, you know. So I think his thing is going to be Cody Cropper has to drop the ball and then Hassel's opportunity to pick it up kind of idea. The opportunities came to Cropper, and I don't... 
it's yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I'm at with it. Oh, I mean, yeah, the I, other I, I, the I, other interesting thing with this scenario is they traded Maxi Kerpo away to give Hassel this spot. You know, like they they realized that Hassel was good enough to play in this league, and they trade Kerpo away, who was one of the better goalkeepers in the league, just to give him the spot. And now Cropper kind of takes it, and you have this the the same thing kind of going on in Minnesota as well with uh, Dane and um, and Tyler Miller. Um, even dating back to last year, Dane played the first four games, dropped it. Tyler took it. And then he, Tyler got COVID and Dane took it back and Dane hasn't given it back. So you got yeah, Miami doing the same thing. Drake calendar is now in there. And is, is he going to keep that spot? Um, don't, don't even look at the Toronto goalkeeper situation. That's a mess. They've both dropped the ball so many times that they might be field me out there next week. Um, yeah, I think, I think as like a Sora fan and a Hazel owner, that's, I don't want to hear like, perform you know Cropper's got a shot and when he first came in I saw people buying him up and I was thinking to myself yeah I don't think that's the smartest move on so rare but as a football fan I'm 100% with Quinny like take so rare out of it I think if the guy absolute credit to Cody Cropper coming in performing with he might have even thought in his head like oh I don't even know if, like I'm gonna be able to stay in the team you know like he he might not have known where he's at, but he's come in and he's actually performed. And that's what you want to see, them kind of stories in football. So, yeah, fair play to him. But, yeah, I'm sure – I know there's a lot of people interested in that sort of goalkeeper situation right now. Do you want to know Cody Cropper's secret to success? Every time he gets a shutout, he buys everyone donuts in the locker room. So, they all <laughs> want to get him a shutout. Um, let's move on here. We've got Cincy versus NYCFC, which was a – weird weird game in the midweek uh quinny you have some thoughts about that one i was gonna say i was i was thinking the other we're talking about tfc i didn't actually really catch much mls this game this game week but i caught like a good portion of that game uh certainly you know i caught the extended highlights afterwards because it was like we've been on for ages it was about half an hour the cut i caught you know <laughs> four goals and all the disallowed and everything else it was a pandemonium cincinnati have been a real surprise and it's funny right because like See, last year, uh, I don't know how well you guys will remember this, but last year, Cincinnati, like on paper, some of their so rare cards were like decent options, but they were so terrible. And it's kind of like, especially for me, I'm making videos and stuff. I'm like, oh, well, I like Matarita because I've, I, I won him and whatever, you know. Yeah. It's like Matarita and Alan Cruz has got some wee spots and Brenner has all the promise in the world and this, that and the other thing. But they appoint the guy from Philly, they bring in the coach as well, you know, so they've got the front room, back room kind of thing on the go. And like, I'm wildly surprised at how quickly it's paid off for them. Like, this year, they've been brilliant, eh? They've been great. And you're talking about Brenner, too. He's not even had a good start to the season. But now, watch out. Like, he put the ball in the back of the net five times. I mean, two of them were disallowed. But um, he still scored five times against NYCFC, which is one of the best defenses in the league. So, if he gets hot, I mean, they've got um, Vasquez, who came out of nowhere, for me, at least. And uh, Lucho Acosta, that's a dangerous front three to try to contend with and the the question the knock on Cincy has always been defense and it looks like they've got at least a little bit of an organization now um, with bringing in that the Philly coach um, to to kind of get things straightened out so definitely an interesting one to watch um, from NYCFC's perspective um, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about uh, they've got a lot of changes coming like Tati obviously has all the transfer rumors you've been all over that's uh, Ronnie Dyla leads to standard Liège in Belgium. Um, where is this club? Like, are they are are they still elite? Are they, you know, just trying to tread water? Like, where are we right now? I think um, I think Ronnie Dyla is a big personality, and I think in MLS coaches with a big personality carry like a lot of the 
kind of momentum a team can generate. Like, you just need to look at, like, Bruce Arena, for example. He's, like, the kind of pinnacle of, of that, you know. But there's other coaches around MLS, the storied ones that, like, um, Peter Vermees at like, Kansas. You know, these guys that are, like, real coaches that really run the club and can really get a team moving in a direction. And, you know, the, the new guy that's come in, Cushing, I don't know him from Adam. He's only been there two minutes. It's hard to judge him at this point, you know. But Ronnie Dyla leaving, there'll definitely be like a little like personality vacuum, I would imagine, like in that changing room and on the training ground, at least for like until it becomes a new normal again. You know, it's a new phase there, it's a new regime, it's a new kind of um, you know, routine and all that kind of stuff. Is the team still elite? I think it's been quite unfortunate Dyla leaving has coincided with uh Tiago Martins getting injured as well as keeping Parks going MIA um, over the last month or so as well, two, two big parts. Um, so I think it might be one of those ones, maybe a storm in a teacup, and once like Martins is back in particular, like I think there'll be a big change in stability. Does that change at all if Tati leaves? I don't think so, because I think Tati, especially like as much as he's amazing or whatever, he's not Maxi Morales. He's not the one playing the balls and finding the, and, and he does do that. Don't get me wrong, but he's not like the guy that does it. You know, he's not Carlos Heel for the team. He's he's more the bookser, you know, and you know, that kind of guy leaving, I think is less disruptive than, you know, the Maxi Morales disappearing. Do you have any thoughts on where he will or where he should go? You've probably watched a lot more of him than most. Um, do, do you know have any thoughts like, What's the good step in his career right now? Definitely because of what we were speaking about before coming on camera, in terms of my opinion of him prior to selling him like a year ago or so, he definitely sees himself going to like a top club in Europe, like no matter what. It might not be a top league, but he sees himself going to Europe and being Tati Castellanos and, you know, playing for Benfica or Ajax or whatever he goes to. I don't think he goes to like Brentford or Brighton or anywhere like that. I don't think he goes to West. Maybe he would go to West Ham because it's in London. That's a lot bit different. But, you know, I think he only goes somewhere that has a Looking level of prestige. <laughs> West Ham's not a big West. club. I, I not saw a him double thinking it. I'll put a Celtic shirt on just for him, and then he, he comes out firing at the Hammers. You know? He says West Ham's no good. I, I see West Ham like that all the time because seeing see my world, West Ham, Benfica, and Galatasaray and Fenerbahce get linked to everyone in Europe. Like, they get linked to everyone. So I say West Ham in that context. No other context. All right, all right. We'll let you I off. I apologise. Carry on. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's just because... And I, I think there was links for them as well. So I think River Plate is the best move for him, but I don't think he wants... I think, same as Barco. Barco didn't really want to go back to Argentina, but Argentina was the only offer that kind of came for Barco. And he was kind of like, oh, well, Atlanta want me out pretty bad and... You know, it's not too bad to go there and whatever. But Castellanos, I think he'll just stay at NYC if he can get to Europe, to be quite honest. Maybe he would go to River to maybe if he's he sees Enzo going to Benfica and obviously Alvarez going to City himself, maybe. But I think um, he really fancies himself going to like Benfica, but you know, or a team of prestige. Yeah, we, we yeah. were speaking before, like you, you was giving me a bit of insight. I didn't know that about him, but on a personality level, he sounds like he, he really fancies himself. He's got that arrogance. He's got that Dimitar Berbatov. And I love that. But And I think that helps, especially as an attacking player, you need that mental resilience. You need to just believe you're the man. But do you, you've seen more of him from like a talent standpoint. Do you think them two things can align where he can make it at the top of the game? Has he, has he got that ceiling? Because obviously he's put numbers in the MLS, but it's kind of still hard to gauge that, you know, without seeing someone week in, week out. Yeah, no, no, they're definitely right. And I think like a lot of the raw promise 
that I thought he wouldn't deliver on is uh, I, I make you right. I think like along with that kind of arrogance and whatever that he does, cat. And I don't, I don't know the guy. I am inferring all of my uh, opinion on him from social media and from watching him play football. You know, and it's it's things like when you see the training photos and there's like five of them. And they're like, yeah, we won seven aside today or whatever. He's at the end of the row and he's got his shorts rolled all the way up. You know, like all the way up to like underneath his boss. And he's standing there, like tensing his thighs and all that. And he's like, yeah, you know, and he's like, you just fancy yourself a little bit too much, you know. Like, that's he plays like my... that too. Yeah. I always can find Tati because he's the one with the short shorts. Yeah. So <laughs> that's where a lot of my perception comes from is a lot of this body language and reading between the lines and just kind of seeing what's going on with him. But that that married with talent, Berbatov style, like it can work. And I think like it, we've seen it all too often from MLS going into Europe is like it really depends on the landing spot like Pepe going to Augsburg I can see you've got the hat on today as well which the Celtic one which is lovely um, was not a good landing spot for him um, at all you know I think Busio actually worked out kind of well it was just a too crap of a team but he played all the time and he played pretty well and that's yeah. kind of good enough to get going really um, so I think the landing spot is quite crucial when coming from MLS I think Almiron suffered greatly going to Newcastle and like the guy that signed him not having a fucking clue where to play him you know so going into a blind situation where the manager doesn't know you or whatever is probably not advantageous either Chris you have uh, I've seen some links for Busio do you have any sort of idea where he might end up um, this coming season I saw an, a, like yeah. a vague Ajax link that got me got me tingling a little bit but I, had, I, uh, I it didn't seem like there was too much weight behind it but I, I, I like to I like to I think he can kick on like like Quinny said oh, I think yeah, he's done yeah. enough this year to show that he belongs there and like I'm really looking forward to seeing his development but I don't know where what, what his next move is either I have no clue what his next move is either but I know it is very important because he is very much right on the fringe of the U.S. national team so if he wants to play in the World Cup uh, or even just be on the plane, not even play. If he wants to make the roster, he's going to have to have a, a pretty good fall season here and leading up to the World Cup. Um, so, yeah, I don't know where that is, but he, he's definitely got a lot of pressure on him because the, the midfield for the U.S. is loaded. There's a ton of guys, and Luca Della Torre has kind of taken his chance. We are talking about earlier taking your chance, and Luca's kind of taken that chance in the last uh, window here. And I think he's probably now that that backup midfielder. So we'll have to see. I mean, Busio is super talented, but I would love to see where he lands. What would you think about him staying at Venezia? In Serie B? Maybe I mean, he makes off this World Cup. You know, what chances he got of really starting at it, you know, with McKenney and Adams? and He's definitely not going to start. You know, he's, yeah. maybe he writes this World Cup off, settles in, like really becomes like the, the main guy in the team, you know, because moving around all the time, like fair enough, like, you can go, right. you know, I think Brian Reynolds has kind of suffered from that a little bit, going to Roma, going here on loan, going there on loan. Um, that can be terrible. You know, well, sometimes it is good to just knuckle in and, and get some roots yeah, we, in. And, we, had, we had Tom uh, on the podcast and he was talking about Hoppy and he was kind of alluding to he thinks he should have stayed yeah. and just took that season where he'd bang a load of goals in, probably start every game and just like that experience of playing regularly in Europe, in the setup out there, getting the confidence up might have served him better than going to Mallorca and being in a terrible team and still barely getting a sniff, you know? So, yeah, maybe that's something... Yeah, maybe I think you might be right there, but agents... That's tough, though. That's tough to just write off a full World Cup, you know? That's every player's dream. Even if you don't play, 
like to be in that locker room and to be like on the plane and in that he whole experience, you, you know, I mean, there's plenty of time, you know, he's still good. Maybe <laughs> you never know. We, we, we <laughs> didn't qualify for the last one. So, you know, you never, know. You never um, know. We are, we do host the next one. So I guess we already qualified for that, but um, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. I very interesting to see where he actually ends up for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, Serie B, if he does stay there, he has to dominate. He has to absolutely dominate that team in that league. Yeah. But I'd, I'd say no move is maybe better than any move in some cases. The fit is yeah. just like, oh, this other crap team in the city. I want you now. Okay, I'll go be in that crap midfield and start from scratch and get to know the guys and get to know the manager and relocate again. And, and then know, get relegated at the end of the year. And then get relegated again. Yeah. <laughs> like, Why bother? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's better to go up than down, I think. Um, have, you, have you guys had, um, I've seen they've released some new MLS cards this week, talking to youngsters. Uh, Tiago Almeida has finally made it. Uh, Gould, someone you, Chris, who have been uh, salivating over for a while. The Scottish are you, Messi. Are you yeah. Looking to pick any of them up? Oh, I want to. I want a God. I don't even know if I'll play him. Like he's not been very good this year, to be quite frank. But I mean, he's at least by his standards. But man, I want one. He was so good last year and so electric that I just wanted one so badly and I couldn't get one. So now it's just going to be an impulse buy. Um, there was one other guy, and I cannot remember for the life of me who it was that I was, that I really wanted that didn't have a card. And I was like, why doesn't he have a card this year? Um, but yeah, it was, and maybe it was oh. Ariola from Dallas. So I wanted a Dallas card instead of the DC card. I don't, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think he, uh, his card is like, yeah, no, that rings a bell for me, Ariola. I think he's a forward or is, is his position changed? So I was doing lineup builder Something. videos and he comes up in so rare data. Yeah. as maybe a, midf- a midfielder or something. I can't remember. It's a funny one, but you can see him on Surya Day with his Dallas shirt. I can't remember. Maybe it was in my mind. Maybe it doesn't have a card. Yeah, it's weird. You know, another little nuance that I noticed um, relevant to Surya was you see the Liverpool players and the Napoli players lose their 5%. Insigne has kept it in my gallery. So I think because he's now part of the MLS. Oh, yes. Alert so rare. So I'm gonna still double, the 22 season. I'm oh going to double God. check that right now so I don't have egg on my face. But I checked a couple of days ago because I was, I kind right. of, there was kind of that hedge. I talked to Bob uh, <laughs> about Orange Flyer and he was saying about buying one. And I was saying to him that might be like a huge edge if he keeps that like 13% or whatever till the end of the season. Oh, and, so rare. Nashi is cheating. Yeah. And I think like for those out there who are maybe on the cusp that's something to pay attention to because obviously that makes a massive difference because they were already jacked up because they didn't have any other cards you know so i think my one's like 13 percent, which is almost halfway to a super rare so um yeah a little bit of maybe a little bit of a hack there i don't know but maybe that's something to look out for in other leagues too where you know um i just picked up a pablo who's gone to um flamingo and he was on like 10%. And I'm wondering if that's going to last a while as well. So maybe there's a little... That's, thing I think there. that's legit because like, you know, it's one season after. So the Insignia cards are what, 20, 20 to 21 yeah, cards? 21 mine is, yeah. yeah. It's, still on, it's still on the 12.5%, so that's good. But this is the 2022 MLS season. So it's still the season after that was issued. You, you know, go. so that's, that's yeah, a lovely everyone, loophole. Everyone will be that. rushing to the market. Yeah, make sure you... <laughs> yeah, because five percent, five percent. So that's a, almost a super rare. Like when you're, some of them are at like twelve, thirteen percent. So, 
Yeah, I'm hoping he starts banging in goals. Man, I need so, to start winning some rewards. So speaking of buying players, I have a little bit of a problem here because I have been upgrading my gallery a little bit and I'm trying to find defenders and I just going through the league and I'm not finding any like really, really super elite defenders that I can be like, this guy's going to bang me seventies and eighties all the time. Is there anybody that I should be looking at for defenders in, in the MLS that uh, either that you think can get to that 70, 80 type average, or um, am I just missing somebody? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, he's the standout. He's been the standout guy in terms of like... The closest thing to it, really, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you're playing America, I'd look elsewhere. You know, I'd look South America, I'd look Mexico even. Like, just because we know the the thing we love about the MLS is just goals galore. Um, But if you're a a defender, it's not not, um, quite set up. Yeah. I mean, Yaimar's the choice. There was that uh, guy from San Jose, is it Nathan? Nathan, yeah. He had some unreal peaks. Like, I don't know how he's been getting on lately, actually. But um, I remember there was buzz about him coming on and we spoke about him because he was banging out hundreds of fun, like, in a little stretch last year. Um, But, yeah, you might might have to go a bit south, mate. You might go south of the border and... Uh, I, I do think I do think Jack Mayer and John Tolkien are high ceiling Ooh. players um, that are both like, you know, they're not quite there yet for the scores you're after, but price and promise is there. Tolkien's yeah. a really interesting one because he is kind of pushing on the door of that U.S. team. Um, and he's U23 for a long time. So if you want to build a U23 type of I team. Was, it, I, I was listening to a podcast like a year and a half ago or something. There's a... I can't remember where it was, but they were talking, there was somebody talking from the Red Bulls organization or whatever, and they were talking about uh, Caden Clark coming through at the time. It was when he'd kind of debuted and kind of burst onto the scene and somebody was getting interviewed from Red Bull and they were saying like, yeah, we put Caden Clark right alongside Tyler Adams. He's definitely going to make it. He's like elite, elite, elite. And then, um, and then like the the interview kind of goes on or whatever. And they're like, yeah, the main guys that we've brought through is like Tyler Adams, um, who did I just say that again? Sorry, Tyler Adams, Caden Clark, Caden Clark, and all that, and John Token. Those three guys are all on the same level, and it was all kind of said like just as a kind of throwaway comment. Like those three guys are on the same level, and this is like a year and a half ago, and I've just kind of watched out for him ever since. I've only recently just got his card, but he plays all across the back four, can play all across midfield, te- kind of technically as well, and see like modern football, especially like Red Bull football. That is like. Uh, that's minerals, you know, that's proper, the stuff that these scouting teams, like, you know, Salzburgs and Ajaxes and Benficas, that's the sort of stuff that they're all looking for, is not that game knowledge of you can slot in at left back and right back and not be lost in the pitch and not get out of place and make mistakes and whatever. So yeah, does, he have, high ceiling. Does, does he have enough consistency in his hairstyle for you? <laughs> that's probably a good thing that it's not consistent. <laughs> that was one thing Tom was talking about. He, he was going to start a show where they just talk about John Tolkien's hairstyle. <laughs> that'd be good too <laughs> love that do you have something Najee? no I was just saying about Tolkien like he's yeah like he's kind of like an all he doesn't stand out when you watch him but he's like got everything at the same time like you're saying like he's so cons- he's ag- he's like aggressive you know what I mean he's not going to let you down he's like <laughs> I mean I, this is a, maybe a bit of a stretch but like someone like you see in Europe like a Kimmich you know like they yeah. just can kind of do everything simple. They're not going to let you down. They're going to perform. Obviously, there's a massive gap there, but like yeah. he's like one of them kind of guys for me. You know, like he's he's a, he's he's not not having a day off ever. You know, what I mean, you know what you're going to get. He's 
good enough and he's kind of not really a liability, which is what you want along the back four and, and in your yeah. team in general. So, yeah, I like him as a player. I don't know how that translates on so rare, though, them kind of, them kind of guys. Maybe goes to Salzburg next year. <laughs> to replace Soleil when he goes to Torino. Yeah. <laughs> Have you, um, have you, so you said you moved out a little bit from the MLS, Quinny, um, a few months ago, a couple of months ago. What's your kind of strategy with the MLS side of it now? Are you going to look into completely move out or are you going to sort of get back in and start planning for next year or are you going all Europe? Like, where's your gallery kind of looking like? So, MLS, when it first came on for me, was my, um, like it is for everyone else really who's on the platform it was my how to beat the european tactic you know like i'm going to get johnny russell i'm going to get joseph and you know this one and that one and now i don't need to get so bear in mind when i was picking up mls cards the options in europe weren't as abundant and subsequently because of the bottleneck on that they were you know like in relative terms as things have went on they were more expensive at the time because there was like less of them there was only vanakin and there was only like the pie and there was only a few like real keystone cards. Um, so that's what it was for me. It was kind of like a facilitator or a gateway, if you like. And over the first kind of year or so of playing, I just kind of traded in and out of a, a lot of different cards. But then, like you said, at the very beginning of this year, when it was kind of in that preseason bubble, it's one of these things where I've been putting myself in check almost all of this year and kind of thinking to myself at different intervals. is like, there's no point in having experience if you never cash it in, you know? And it was like the preseason kind of hype, and I'm looking at guys. I'm like Johnny Russell, fucking half a coin at the time. That's like two, it was. Uh, Eve was like not far off all time high. It was on its way down, but it wasn't far away from it. And half an Eve was like a lot of money. And it's just you know, so I just I, I just kind of cashed in some experience. I feel like in that sense, and I just thought I, I don't need them now. It's like yeah, it's a great price, and yeah, I might pay more tomorrow, but I might not pay more tomorrow. Who knows? Blah blah blah. And so because I've kind of had a clean slate. Uh, when I've came back into it, I've made it much more deliberate. So I've got a little kind of Red Bull contingent. I've got a, quite a big NYC. If you look at all my NYC rares, with the exception of Parks, they're all squad, they're all squad numbers so far. And Johnson, because that's a one of, and IAK buys every one of NYC card and a few other different brands, so they can be expensive. And the last, and I've still got one Yama, I've still got Legit. And otherwise, um, I want to get like gold. I'll probably get a Danny Wilson back in. I've got, I've still got a Stuart Finlay big head I can't get rid of. And uh, yeah, just try and make it a wee bit more deliberate. I still will be watching MLS as much as possible, but like Atlanta and Galaxy, I'll probably need to cut out of my life for a while. I was watching those games for the last two years, like religiously, along with, I watched quite a bit of Seattle over my time. Cause that's like where my family's from. They're kind of hometown club. They don't care about soccer or football. And um, back in a, before NYC, I used to watch Seattle a bit more. So that basically for this year, at least I'm just going to be focusing on uh, New York teams and some Scottish players. And so you legit, <laughs> you've got um, you've got Matarita and Tinnerholm, both of whom had long term injuries, and I'm assuming you picked them up while they were injured. Is that part of your strategy to pick up guys that are you know injured or not um, playing? Actually, I, I won the Matarita for finishing first in the old, old in Division Three back then. Used to get a super rare and a star rare for winning the division, so. The Matarita is like a little keepsake, even though he's injured and he's a pain in the ass. He's never been valuable enough to sell. He's always worth nothing, like basically. But is I think his upside is huge. Like he takes set pieces for Cincy. Last time he played anyway, different manager now, so who knows? But 
Upside's huge. And Tenor Home, like, yeah, it's a new season card. He just came back from injury tonight. We are recording. He's in the lineup, starting 11 against Atlanta. So hopefully the Tenor Home is an injury play and the Matarita is just a, a forever card at this stage. What's your, um, have you got like a European strategy? I see you got a lot of the uh, Celtic boys lined up. Are you just all in on your, all in on your, uh, on your home team now? Yeah, basically. So again, when I was selling those cards off and a few other bits and pieces, like I was trying to prepare if, if Celtic came on, like, you know, what cards would I want to get? And I had to like priority list and all the rest of it, blah, 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 whatever. The main card was the unique McGregor, which I, I got. And I cannot, I still, every day I look at it, I cannot believe I own it. I cannot believe I got it for under two ETH also, you know, which is a crime in itself, you know, <laughs> it's robbery. But, um, so as soon as I got that, it then puts all sorts of pressure on me. I can't have that card and not, and it's a bit of a cliche, a sorry, a cliche, but I can't not surround it then with the best things available. You know, like I have to burn bridges, bend over backwards to then decorate that with the things that will make it worth having. Um, so I've kind of, in the immediate to short term, I've kind of forced myself into like, that's just, if I don't do that, then I'm absolutely just hemorrhaging opportunity out of my backside, you know? Um, but outside of that, I think uh, I've tried to keep a bit of a route in Europe with like some CFG guys and some ex-Celtic players and a, uh, some Red Red Bull Leipzig players and a few other bits and bobs. But I think mainly with Europe this year, like I'll have a lot more fun outside of what I do with Celtic and whatever uh, with Limiteds this year. I went and picked up a bunch of, well, I think are a bit more kind of upmarket European Limiteds. And that's off the back of selling some of those guys in rares and just kind of being at the point of, I'm not going to buy back into those guys on rares. So I'm going to get them at limited now while East down and it's off season Europe. And there's a wee bit of negative oh, when I bought them anyway, there's maybe a wee bit of negative sentiment or maybe a wee bit of malaise in the market of, you know, East down and what's going on and all that crap. Um, yeah. So yeah, It's yeah. tough. Like, I mean, I think to bring it back to the MLS, what we were talking about earlier is like, obviously I'm a West Ham fan and I've collected on Sora, I've collected a few of the West Ham boys, obviously Declan Rice right. is a must. But yep. realistically, with Selwick, I guess you have the luxury where you know they're going to do well in the game as well as thing. And I've been doing it because Chicago is like my MLS team now. It's been kind of nice because I've been picking up a bunch of their players. And But the difference between me picking the West Ham ones up and the Chicago ones up, you've got like, I've got like pick up a couple of Shakiris and that and Mueller. There is still that hope, like we said earlier, the next year, in the next couple of years that they might actually be half decent. They might be cards that come good. Whereas like with the West Ham ones, it's a bit of a stretch to think that like, you know, like Thomas Suchek's going to turn into like Kimmich. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a... Well, um, before you go bad mouth on Thomas Suchek, let me tell you something. He has been linked in the last week to RB Leipzig to be replacing a lot of these midfielders that go out. So like Suchek and a team like Leipzig could be... Uh, could be fun, you know. So I wouldn't go poo. So what, yeah. what you're saying is the player is worthless <laughs> elsewhere or worthless at West Ham. But if he moves <laughs> elsewhere, he's perfectly fine. He's got to step up in him. He can go above West Ham. <laughs> I, I feel like I've like got to defend the boys a bit. Like I feel like West Ham are like the quintessential. Like this, if he goes there, he's dead. Like on every podcast I listen to, like it's like yeah, but he's been linked to West Ham, so we can't. We can't put any money into this guy, you know. What I mean, they get like so disrespected, but I mean, That's I get it. I'm to... kind of shit. I mean, them. you didn't you just say that you were collecting West Ham cards, knowing that they wouldn't be any good on Sower? 
Yeah, no, to be fair, no, it is a, it's a fair point. And like, I've had, my Gakpo is my like um, sort of flagship card, my Gakpo Super. And like, it's the same. You see him getting linked to Leeds. And for him, like, I mean, I don't think it'd be a good move this year because he's had such a good season. He's in the national setup in the World Cup. I don't think he will go. But you think like, you forget in so rare land that like, that's a reasonable move for him. You know what I mean? Like, if he's going Premier League, like, if Leeds improve, they're putting money into the club. Like Leeds are a massive, massive, like probably a lot of American audience. Leeds are a massive club. Like historically, like they're a huge club. Like it's no, it's not like a dead move, but in so rare land, you're like, why would Cody Gekpo go to fucking Leeds? You know what I mean? Like, like they, were, they were drawing more in league one than MLS teams draw. Most MLS teams draw for normal regular season games. Like they were yeah. drawing 30 K in, in league one It's wild. Yeah, but we, we all get skewed. We all get um, things. I'm praying Gakpo stays, but... I think there's an overall, um, maybe overpronounced negative kind of sentiment towards his Premier League players on Soraya because it is a, a very dog-eat-dog league. And I think I, I think it, it's maybe... Um, I think too many people think that there's not enough consistency in selection with Premier League teams. And we've kind of had that with the cards because most of the cards that we've got are transfers. So again, like we spoke about earlier in the show, like situation we we're coming in, somewhere fresh, got to know new people, got to get a new house, got to get to know everyone. And yeah, that's maybe the case for, for more often than not. But I think we'll probably notice this when the Prem, if and when or whatever. But Premier League cards can be like, you know, moving to West Ham could be good, but it's just not going to be good for 38 games. It'll be good for 10. Depends on the player and, you know, who they are and what they're about. I mean, yeah, like, like, I mean, Jared Bowen's not cheap, actually, but... Bowen's good. Um, if you look at his scores for a champ Europe striker, it's not, it's not embarrassing, you know what I mean? Like, and we haven't, we weren't, we can definitely improve. Like, there's, there's room there and you look, you, yeah, Liverpool players do all right in the Prem, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, <laughs> Liverpool players do all right, eh? Liverpool I mean, looking forward, do you think the, the Prem's coming? Like, it's weird that the the logos are changed. I don't know what to make of that, but um, I don't what's your sort of gut feeling there? I wasn't too sure all the logos were there anyway, to be quite honest. Like, I see, I see when people were, t- I think the Chelsea one was there because I think also we've had Havertz and Werner and look, a few players have went there. So I think if people say the Chelsea one's changed, I believe them. But I'm quite sure, I wouldn't be surprised if not all of them were there in the first place anyway. But what I'm waiting to see is, like, I remember, like, Troy, you know, the French team, or Trois, or whatever they're called. Mm-hmm. On Soraya, see when you go to, like, the fixtures and whatever, or even, actually, let's just check on the site. They didn't have a badge. They just had this, like, grey shield, as you've probably seen before on the site. And it's right. just, like, a nondescript logo for some teams. I think it's maybe... Oh, two things, I'll check this before I see it. So, Trois, yeah. Yeah, so they still don't have a logo at all. So I wasn't sure maybe if... Um, so for anyone at home that's listening to this, it's T-R-O-Y-E-S, if you put it in it so rare. They don't have a club logo at all. One thing I maybe thought was maybe they're just reformatting like the teams with no logos from it being the grey shield to being like that little thing. But Twa or Troy still have the little grey shield thing. They don't have the same thing that like Chelsea and Man United do now. So. Actually, now I'm looking. I just clicked on my Ogbonna West Ham card, mm-hmm. and all the Premier League teams no longer have that weird cartoony thing. They're the grey shield too. So maybe you're onto something there. What was it? Yeah, it's gone. So the plot thickens anyway. 
Is there so a- speaking speaking of West Ham, real quick, uh, we're just gonna plug uh plug Nellis a little bit. We you're going to the Sower Meetup thing, right, Quinny? Yes, I am. Are we? Uh, where, should be good. Are fun. we going to the uh, West Ham City game? If that's on that weekend, I'd be right up for it. Uh, I I think we're up for going to a game. I'm bringing I'm bringing my wife with me, so she'll be there for the party as well. Um, but I'd be right up for it. I think it might be. Yeah, I think we need to start looking at getting tickets sooner rather than later because yeah. these things sell out quite quickly. I but think no, I'm up for sa- it for sure. Saturday there was uh, Fulham is hosting Liverpool, and then Sunday West Ham hosts City. I'd love to get to a Crystal Palace game if they're playing at all, but um, I'm not sure if they are. I, didn't, into I it. didn't check Palace yet. Palace, my time. I'd like to go there, London. If, if you're listening and you want to run into a bunch of sewer celebrities, head to London <laughs> in the beginning of August. Quinny will be there and Nellis will be there. So that's all you need to know. Yeah, let us know where they are. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have anything else to uh, to add? Anything else you want to go over there, Nashi? No, mate, that was a great chat. Yeah, really. We got in the weeds there. Um, I don't know how long we've been going, but it might be time to. Time to wrap it up. I got to sweat uh, a Raulho. I need a goal against Quinny's boys. So get me a. It's all right. They leaked everything last week. So they're not in good form. Yeah, nil nil right now. But yeah, we'll see. But no, that was great chat. Yeah, no, no. Let's keep it. Well, going. we appreciate you uh, coming on, Quinny. Appreciate the time. Always up for a chat if you ever want to come back on. A pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me. Um, See, long time listener, first time caller. The problem with doing content going on other people's is you then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to it back, but it's not quite the same. Like you guys, uh, it's my Monday morning. You know, when I'm leaving the house, I know you guys are out on a Monday morning now for the last like at least six weeks or so. Uh, so my Monday morning now, I need to listen to myself for a little bit, which I don't always <laughs> enjoy, but <laughs> yeah, I can't do it. I can't, I can't listen I to it. I can't listen to it back. I, I, I don't know. I still haven't got to that stage yet where I can sort of, Listen to myself, but that, that's good because you don't see all the parts that I throw in after of us trashing West Ham. So that's good that you don't listen back. Uh, um, but we appreciate all the uh, all the time, Quinny. Everybody have a good Fourth of July weekend, even if you are not in the states. Um, happy mm. Bastille Day next week, I think for for the French people out there. Um, but yeah, that's gonna be it. Yeah. Appreciate it, guys. Cheers. Take care.